we won't have any real answers until we get to next you know, to at least January. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm a little afraid I'm going to be electrocuted at any moment because there's good old summer thunderstorms. So if you suddenly hear me scream, don't worry. My husband will throw a towel over me as I get set on fire from lightning. <laughs> It'll be fine. Well, it's, a good, it's a good thing we edit. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? Oh, no, it's fine. Allison just set herself on fire. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. What happened? <laughs> we'll tell that story another time. All right. Well, you know when we can tell it? When we oh, have yeah. our one year to go fun. This is exciting. It is exciting. So we're coming up on one year to go till Tokyo 2020. And it was originally, should have been opening ceremonies day. However, we will have our own fun then. We're going to do a Zoom call with any listeners that want to be a part of that. It's going to be from noon to 12.30 Eastern time. And then at 8 o'clock Eastern, we're going to do a Facebook watch party where we will watch the official film from Sydney 2000 because it's the 20th anniversary of that games. And because I know what you want to yell. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Endlessly. <laughs> or what's, maybe not. What's appropriate food for that? Like what's... What, Vegemite. There, oh. Lamingtons. Oh. You can what are them. lamingtons? I love lamingtons. And they actually make them here in Cleveland, but they're called coconut bars. It is cake and it is coated in chocolate and then it's dipped in coconut. Yeah, that so sounds... if you don't like coconut, you're not going to like yeah. a, a lamington. But I myself love a lamington. And sometimes they're filled on the inside. They'll have like a two-layer cake with a little cream filling or jelly filling. Oh, that, sound, that sounds like there's there's heresy in the lamington world. That'd be a good topic for discussion. But I find lamingtons delicious. You can also yeah, so... have some musk sticks. That sounds nasty. It's like eating perfume. But, pe oh. <laughs> but I know people who love those too. Okay, so I need some actually edible suggestions for the watch party. So if anyone has any thoughts, let me know. Because for me, it would just be shrimp on the Barbie and a blooming onion. Oh, and I don't think that's authentic. I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, we will have sign-up information by next week and keep an eye on our socials. But we would love to have the chance to get to talk with you in person and then also watch one of the classic Olympic movies. I'm excited. I know. It's I it's love a way this to, idea. It's a way to forget that you're supposed to be watching Tokyo 2020's opening ceremony. It's a way to ease your aching heart. And speaking of Tokyo 2020, we wanted to uh, talk about travel again because uh, we talked about travel last year. And so Ken Hanscom came back on the show to talk with us. Ken is the COO of Ticket Manager and a recognized expert in ticketing, corporate sponsorships, traveling to and experiencing the Olympic Games. 
And Ken's been to a number of games, including uh, Rio 2016 and Pyeongchang 2018, where he worked directly with the U.S. Olympic Committee, NBC Universal, Anheuser-Busch, and Cartan Tours. And uh, you may remember Ken from episode 89. So since it's just about a year to go till Tokyo 2020, we thought it would be fun to have a little deja vu and bring him back with some updates on traveling to Tokyo for the games. Take a listen. How how is how has work been for you since pretty much no events going on? Yeah, I mean it's it's really difficult. Uh, there, there's no question. You know, we work with a lot of corporations, and uh, we're doing a lot of things to help them prepare. And you know, we see things with you know baseball coming back and. Some states and jurisdictions are going to have fans, you know, possibly have fans in the stadium as early as July 23rd. And then NFL is planning to have fans, too. So I think it's the and then I think in the South, you know, look at SEC, you look at some of those other types of things. And so us as a business, what we've really been doing is we've been focused on a lot more on our community and actually building the strength in our product. For us, it's been a good opportunity to kind of get a lead over the rest of our competition and continuing to, you know, add more value to our customers. It's, it's not easy for anyone who's in live events, live entertainment. I'm sure as we'll talk about it, even planning and replanning for something like the Tokyo Games, I can't imagine what the committee, um, I know some of the things that the USOPC are, are going through. It's, just, it's really incredible that the amount of effort that goes into that. And you know, the reality is, is nobody knows when. It's very entirely possible that we have stops and starts. I mean, California, right? We opened up restaurants and then you know now we've shut down all indoor dining. It's all outdoor. And so now what you have is you have restaurants doing tents and doing outdoor stuff. Uh, with umbrellas and tables rather than doing doing indoor and taking over like the mall parking lots because there's no cars at the mall already. You know, so, so it's, just, it's a constant state of change that we're all kind of going, you know, we're all, all kind of experiencing together. And I think we're experiencing it together differently on a global level and even differently on a local level, uh, depending on what state and even what county you're in. Yeah, exactly. I'm surprised that they're talking about having fans already coming the end of July because when I had read it was we weren't going to even have fans for the NFL season. Yeah, they, they did their on sales two to three months ago. You can still go buy tickets for games uh, off StubHub or Vivid Seats or whatever your secondary market of choice is. You can, uh, you know, some of the challenges that I got to figure out is reseeding. But, you know, I think what's not fully known at what point throughout the seasons, how many fans will be allowed into the, into the games. And so everybody's doing multiple scenario planning. And I think that's the only way you can do that. And I think we'll see some of that with Tokyo, uh, right? I mean, I, I, a lot of the organizing bodies, a lot of the National Olympic Committees, a lot of the federations, they're all slimming down already what, the, what they're going to do to, to minimize risk. But I think we'll see many you know, plans and replans throughout there. You know, clearly NBA, someone had floated the idea last week in the media that maybe even the finals could be actually in the home stadiums with fans by the time we get to that. The reality is that nobody knows. So speaking of Tokyo, what changes have happened already due to the pandemic? I think there's a couple things that are happening right now. I think the first is, is as you look towards the second occurrence of Tokyo in 2021, where everyone's having to rebook or replan or recommit to what they're going to do, the amount of space, the amount of housing, the amount of tickets, and the encouragement from the Tokyo committee that they made publicly is, you know, we want everyone to think about bringing smaller delegations. And that's everyone from, you know, a national body to a, a media company that's supporting. So they're looking at them doing that. People are having to make commitments today over a year in advance to what they want to do next year. Because all this is new, because all of these places were expected to be full this summer. 
And then now everyone's looking towards next year. And, and I think, you know, whether you're a hotel or you're a convention center or somebody that's, that's going to be hosting a large folks, number of folks from the summer games, you want to have some level of certainty in terms of what you're going to have next summer, because you also want to understand what you want to be able to make available publicly. We all know that, you know, specifically hotels were a real, real challenge for people to find the type of accommodations that they wanted. I think that that will likely be a benefit is that because a lot of organizations are making commitments now and they're going to be more conservative because they obviously don't want, you know, that they're requiring cash or funding or whatever that that, that is now to be paid up front. They don't want to carry as much risk maybe as they did before. And so that's going to create additional capacity that potentially goes out to the public. Because originally Tokyo was con- was considered to be people who were going to want to go to Tokyo more than any other Olympics in the past. Yeah. And who knows now how that's going to play out? Yeah, there's a really broad spectrum of people from people to that are, hey, it's not even going to happen next summer, so I'm not going to even plan or try to plan. I just want to get out of my tickets and return them. And, you know, there's been, depending on which authorized reseller you work with, you have a different process for getting those refunds to people who are now planning to bring more people. And so just like you find in talking every day, I I find at least talking to my friends, everyone's in a different point in terms of their journey, what they've experienced the last three, three and a half months here, you know, at least mostly in the the U.S. I think you find that same thing from a fan base, a fan base either as a first time, you know, there's people that are entirely committed to go and they're going to go big. I mean, I'm I'm still going and doing everything that that I'm planning to do. I'm going to plan like nothing's going to change, Uh, where there's other people that, you know, can't imagine today ever uh, attending uh, another large event in the next, you know, 18, 24, 36 months. And so I think that's what what we're going to see a lot of that. And we won't have any real answers until we get to next, you know, to at least January. I mean, we might, we might have some early if things go really, really well the next few months, which I don't think anyone has a, a huge amount of hope for or a huge amount of certainty around. Maybe we have hope for that, but not certainty. Uh, maybe, right? If we had full stadiums here in the U.S. Come, come October and the virus is not doing what it's doing, then maybe, yeah, we have a lot more certainty. But I, I expect we likely, you know, there's so much to come, whether it's therapeutics, whether it's potential vaccines. And, you know, it's really difficult to give people certainty. And that's what a lot of people want. When people buy tickets to a large event or making some of the largest investments of their of their lifetime, people who don't go to every every Olympics, they want to have a little bit more certainty than there is today. What have you heard from other NGBs and federations? Because we know the USOPC has had to make staffing cuts and budget cuts, and budget cuts have been kind of a theme yeah. across all of them because the Tokyo 2020 money isn't coming this year. So what, what kind of things have you heard? I've heard similar things across Europe. One of the differences here is that, and part of the reason that we're big supporters of the foundation, is that we are the only non-government funded Olympic organization in the world. And so while some other bodies, and so for example, uh, I think it was in Great Britain last week, they announced that the funding was going to remain the same, a couple other countries. So you're going to find that it varies widely. Uh, Most places where they can, they're making cuts or smaller uh, commitments or smaller commitments to next year's programs to plan for eventuality. But a a lot of these other National Olympic committees, they really are also funded by the governments. And so they have a little bit, I won't say of a fallback. And whereas, you know, in the U.S., um, we're dependent on on people's giving and participation and other revenue sources rather than being funded by the government. So we've, I would say, just we've been hit harder than those. When you think about having Tokyo and Beijing pretty much back to back, then yeah. I, would, I saw on one of your tweets, it was 180 days between the two games. How does that work with funding? 
Well, you know, I, I think in a lot of cases they are, you know, a lot of different additional federations. A, a lot of organizations have TV revenue that's or you know sponsorship revenue that's spread out a number of years. So I don't know if necessarily the, that puts necessarily a, a lot of additional revenue pressure. Definitely puts some, but it definitely puts a lot of organizing because now we're going back to like we experience, haven't experienced since 1992, right? Where this this used to be the way it happened every four years, and, and so, so I think it's. There obviously will be some revenue consider considerations, but I think a lot of it's more about the organization. You get you have people who you know do this for their lives, and you know they're 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 going to be in two different countries for basically the better part of a year straight. You know between Japan and Beijing, and trying to coordinate all those things at, at the same time. And I think that's where a lot of the pressure will come from. Though it's nice that you know we were talking about oh it's back to back Asian games, so they're probably grateful actually. <laughs> That it's Tokyo and Beijing, and not say you know Beijing and Rio, or you know, so that at least yeah. they're in the same region. Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit more compact, and so if you're able to just simply move some things across, whether it's you know, but the difference is the merchandise is a lot different, but maybe some of the other logistical things that you have, if you can simply just move it directly over to Beijing rather than uh, you have to bring it you know back into country and then back again, those types of things will definitely be you know significant. I'd say advantages over that. But you're going to have to have some staff, you know, essentially temporary staffing bumps to be able to really handle the, the two different, you know, the games, the two different, uh, you know, sets of experiences. And the real question I think will be is now typically summer games and winter games are different fan bases uh, in a lot of cases. But there's there's a lot of people that do go to every single one and whether or not that will have an impact in terms of, of people, because if you are spending uh, a lot of money and then it's something they're doing every couple of years. Uh, now you're looking at doing it within six months. Yeah, that was one of my questions too, because at least for a portion of the world, getting to Asia gets to be pretty expensive, and then you pile on games costs on top of it because we we know the hotels crank up their prices. But yeah, th that'll be interesting to see. It's funny to I, I kind of wonder who's walking around the offices going, okay, who was still here? Who's still here that was here in 1992 and 88? And they, they have that historical knowledge of how to pull this off. But it, it, it is interesting because I also talk with a lot of companies of and folks that help a lot of the sponsors and, and some of the organized committees plan a lot of their, their hospitality. And when you look at some of the rosters uh, of people, there's actually a significant number of people who were around, whether it was back in Barcelona or Albert, Albertsville. So some of these companies even got their start right, right about you know that period of time. So there definitely is uh, some knowledge there. And then you're going to find two things. I think you're going to find, you know, I, I basically don't have any additional expenses over this next year for Tokyo because I have most of my tickets. I was going to get some more. My lodging, you know, fortunately just rolled over and I got my refund back for my flight. So I'm going to pay, you know, as soon as they're available, I'll book those. So I think you do will have a you know, subset of people that are also in that and where uh, even though uh, it is right back to back, financially, it's also spread out, you know, o over the couple of years that normally is. Has there been any discussion about people not wanting to go to Beijing because it's in China and that issue of the, the virus? Yeah, I, I have not heard anything uh, specific to that. I, I think everyone... That I've, I'm speaking with is most first and foremost, or first and foremost, focused on Tokyo. And however that goes, that that's really you know setting the stage because it is so close for exactly what will happen in, in Beijing. 
and you know, as we have to, you know, as you know, as you have to, I, at least what I'm you know, planning for personally in terms of terms of my trip, I'm planning for full fans and you know, in stands during Tokyo 2021. That may or may not be the case, and that you know, that that may also turn into what we see with ticketing over the next four to six months. You know, they already have what four four and a half million tickets sold, and so the remaining four 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 and a half million tickets will those even you know be made available before we even get to you know next January, February, March till things are certain. Because you have to figure out what to do with the kind of those current ticket holders before you introduce additional new new ticket holders. I'm just imagining people pacing around their offices, you know, with ticks. Just how are we going to pull this off without that? Because these events require seven years plus to plan, and now you're redoing yeah. it in a matter of months. Yeah, you know, I you know I have a just tremendous admiration for the Tokyo Organizing Committee, and just you know as challenging as a situation this is is and how quickly people want immediate resolution and certainty i think in terms of how they're pro- progressing and, and going through this and the amount of work that they're having to take on to kind of replan something right the good news is 80 to 90 percent you know you, your plan can be your plan if you can move everything a day but the logistics to actually pull that off and then now you then you take that down to the you know the national olympic committees and what you look at is whatever their plans were for whatever, you know, houses that they had for whatever facilities. Now they've got to go and resecure all of those kinds of things. And now those things hopefully can happen quickly. And then, you know, you're fortunate that you have the government that's also helping you support that, you know, specifically, you know, in the tech, Tokyo metropolitan area, as well as the overall, you know, Japanese government. But man, just what a tremendous, you know, amount of effort and planning and replanning and just even think about like you kind of talk about it. I, mean, I picture like just whiteboards full of different scenarios, right? And looking at okay, this is our this is our operating plan, but if X, Y, Z, or A, B, C happens, here are the things that we're going to have to do. And even some of these decision dates have to be a little bit flexible because three months ago we never thought we'd be sitting here, sitting right here, right now. And three months from now, we really don't know where exactly we'll, we'll be sitting. And so I just, I think, I, you know, anyone who's involved with, you know, specifically planning and, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, in some of the Facebook groups and other things I've seen some frustration with fans, whether it's with refunds and other types of things, I think it's really difficult to appreciate the amount of effort and, and work that happens into even getting this to, you know, be able to push out you know, another, another year. It's just an incredible amount of work that everybody has to do to make that happen. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And I, I agree with you that, this organizing committee is just beyond phenomenal when it's when you think about the work that they've had to take on to pull this off with especially if they have to consider a fewer fans and seats scenario which means less revenue because they've already you know bumped up the costs more and pushing it out so hopefully the revenue comes in somewhere so that it just doesn't become some financial fiasco yeah, I mean, there's 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 no easy easy you know situation you know no easy things ranging from hey the, the competition still happened but with no fans at all and it's all on on TV just like you know I've frankly really enjoyed watching a lot more soccer the last you know, month and a half between the German Bundesliga and you know now the other three leagues are are back uh, but you know those those have been em- empty stadiums but you know there's still TV revenue associated with that to so your point is is there's a lot of moving parts and you got to ha- have you know different plans and it, it is going to be some level of financial burden just even even moving it the 12 months uh, and, and how much of financial burden it is we'll uh, we'll see what have you heard from sponsors 
Yeah, you know, I think you know, on the sponsorship side, you know, we have some sponsors that are already restarting. You know, I, I picked up my Nabisco Team USA Oreo cookies uh, yesterday at Albertsons, and I got three packs. I have no idea whether it's going to last me all the way to you know twenty twenty one. I might eat them all this weekend. I really don't know, <laughs> but. <laughs> But so I, I think you see some of that, you know, and I think the sponsors, you know, it's a combination of things is one is, you know, they're working through agreements with, you know, whoever they're working with, whether it's on the overall Tokyo level or on their national level or on their federation level um, about what the extension for one year looks like. You also have some that, you know, uh, there were some planned transitions, uh, you know, out there, you know, whether it's with the airlines, you know, where you have one that was, you know, leaving in 2020 and another coming on, you know, 21, 21 through 2028. 20, and so I think there's just a lot of coordination. You do have some, some sponsors like Visa and Toyota that to kind of change their marketing message with the commercials that they've had over the last couple of months. So I think you're finding people in a variety of different places and, you know, looking to find the balance between the hope. And for me, you know, uh, thinking about next year in Tokyo and kind of continuing about, you know, the news and everything out there, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a relief or a release for kind of from what we're going through. And other people I've talked to as I've been doing more things over the past few weeks really have kind of come and said the same thing. And I think, you know, they're finding the balance be, be, between those those two things. And in many cases, a lot of the sponsors are, are recommitting to the athletes too. I mean, that's another you know big piece of this is a lot of the athletes who are on one of these teams with one of these major sponsors are dependent on this, you know, this money, the sponsorship money to continue to train. So, I mean, that's what we're seeing and that's what we're, we're hearing from sponsors in terms of their commitment in Japan. You know, there's been various surveys going out in terms of the, there was a pause between, hey, the, the announcement and then getting everyone to recommit. And there's also, you know, you know, what we're hearing is we're looking at what that next year recommitment looks like, going back to the revenue question about how, how does everyone share in the burden of the additional costs associated uh, with Tokyo 2020 and 2021. So I think that's what we're kind of hear, hearing a little bit on the sponsor. Some are starting to restart. I think as we get closer to this, you know, one year to go period, I think we may have some, you know, restated enthusiasm. We see next week, even with BBC in Great Britain, they're rerunning all of the last three, you know, summer games there. And, you know, one thing I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, to figure out how to watch is the director's cut of the uh, London, you know, 2012 opening ceremony that they're planning to kick a lot of that off with. But that's also, you know, just even in Great Britain, that's going to be in the run-up to the one year. And I think we'll start seeing more uh, as we get close to that. I'm thinking about the Oreos. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about walking over here and, you know, get, get, have you guys been, have you found them or, or did you? I haven't seen them near me. So have, okay. I know no, some I, of our I, listeners have posted pictures of, of having procured these very interesting colored Oreos, but they're yeah. stuffed, man. Yeah, they are. They are. And uh, I, I was when I went on Monday and they weren't sold out. I, got, I brought them to the, to the register and uh, the you know lady checking me out was like, "Oh my gosh!" She goes, "These aren't sold out." I thought they're going to sell it right away. So yeah, I, that's why I had to get three packs. So you had said you are definitely still going to Tokyo. Have you changed any of your plans based on the changes so far? You know, I, I've simply just rolled everything forward one year. The the, the apartment uh, corporate housing I, I was working with directly were just super gracious and very easily just just rolled everything forward exactly one year plus a day for me. So that that was that's probably the biggest headache I think most of us have with planning is actually figuring out our housing. So for me, just the graciousness of that organization to do that was phenomenal relief for me. 
I think I might miss the hunt a little bit, you know, over over the next next few months. But uh, you know, I am for that for that particular one. You know, what we may do is 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 we you know there's still a number of tickets, particularly swimming and gymnastics, and we missed out on on the release a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where there was, you know, uh, some really good inventory that came up that was likely returned from folks. So we're still on, on the hunt for a few tickets. But other than that, everything's going to remain the same. I think what we're trying to, if we still, you know, it's really interesting when everything started to, to happen here in the U.S., we were just a week away from doing our pre-trip to Japan to kind of check everything out. So uh, Ashley and I, were, we're basically now in the process of trying to figure out when exactly, if and when, we, we can go back, whether we wait all the way to next spring or if things do open up and things get better, whether or not we go kind of a little bit later fall timeframe to kind of do our one-year prep trip. For those people who are thinking about, oh, let me hop in on this or need to rebook or need to, like, I never got a hotel or any kind of lodging to begin with. So we still have that aspect to look at. So what what do you recommend doing in terms yeah. of that or when to start? Well, I think a little bit after a year in, so some, somewhere in eleven in an eleven month range, I, I would start taking a look. I think one of the interesting things it would be is to look at some of the major chains, and specifically look at them at their first booking dates. A lot of those hotels were committed to various organizations that you know, but they've had to make recommitments to that space. And if they are taking smaller delegations, doing smaller hospitality programs with less people, as has been encouraged by the committee, then you might see some of those things pop up unexpectedly. But if those things don't pop up, unexpectedly, you know, each chain has a slightly different, like Hilton's like 315 and, and Starwood is like 335. They have slightly different days. So depending on who you are, are looking at, and then also, if you have rewards, right, you know, you'd want to focus on that, that immediate time frame to see if anything happens to be freed up there. Because, you know, more and more what you're going to want to see. And I think the other piece of that is you have to be willing to make a prepayment commitment because what, what those hotels are going to be looking for, they're going to be looking for guaranteed revenue. I, I, would, I would not expect early on for there to be many um, that are going to offer that, you know, cancellation or, or, or no. Now, in terms of if there is a, a massive, you know, event or, you know, there are no fans or not allowed, et cetera, then I think, you know, they'll allow cancellations. But up front, they're not going to do the easy three days before allow you, allow you to cancel. They're going to want that, you know, that, that revenue and that guaranteed revenue. So I think that would be the starting point. I would look there and then I'd be, you know, patient over the next, you know, four to five months and just kind of look um, opportunistically. And then I think once we get around to January, February, and we know what you know what certainty is, because a lot of people what they're going to do if they're not willing to take the risk, um, and there's a lot of people that that aren't willing to do that, and that's completely fine. They're going to start looking 90 days in, and what we find 90 days in is you know some things do open up. Even you know some people I know do not book a hotel until seven days before the event. I've known people that have been in the air and didn't have a hotel when when they were landing. And they just find it because, you know, last minute, there's a lot of last minute deals, right? People don't show up and all of a sudden you see a nice room in the, in, in the Hilton or, or wherever it may be, and, and you get it for a very reasonable cost. Uh, I am not the person that, that can do that. My, my, you know, the way I like to have things planned and some level of certainty and, and you know, my, my wife is the same way. She, she plans a lot more than I do. And, and we, we simply couldn't do that. We, we like the level of certainty in terms of that. But there are people that do that. And so I, I kind of look at those three time frames. And I think the key thing is, is to be patient. When do you think they'll be able to be finished with the schedule? I think as soon as the venues are confirmed, 
You know, and if I were to if I were to speculate a little bit, I mean, I don't expect the schedule to move a whole lot. Uh, I mean, the th- I think the big events that are week one are going to probably be week one, and the big events or like so if, if swimming's week one and track and field's week two, I, I don't expect a whole lot of movement there. Now you might have a day or two or whatever, but I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not I'm not expecting to completely flip. Now we have track and field week one, and then we have swimming week two. And I think you might have some individual sessions move, but if you're able to secure the venues for the same period of time, and, and which, you know, by all means, they're more than 80% uh, past that. There was even a recent story that came out this morning that says that they're even making a lot of progress specifically around the Athletes Village, which is probably the a, the number one priority and probably the most cha- challenging one to, to deal with. Then, you know, I would expect this schedule to be pretty close, but I, I don't expect the schedule to be released until there's certainty. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's really, um, it's been a hallmark of this organizing committee is, is not a lot of speculative news, news, you know, everything's planned. It's here it is. And, and here's a plan. And this is what it's going to be, which I think is a relief to a lot of people in terms of, you know, things changing over time. So, well, you know, I think the re- initial anticipation is that we would see it at the end of, end of June, whether it's end of July or early August, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that's available in the next, let's call it four to four to eight weeks. Just it, it really just boggles my mind. Have you heard uh, anything about some of the hospitality houses? I have not. So that that I do have a few emails out, out there. Um, I know several of the houses that we're planning to have one are still planning to have another. What I'm really interested in is, you know, it came out in early March that, uh, for example, the Netherlands uh, uh, Heineken House, right, was canceled. And so whether or not with the extra year and everything going on, are we going to see the Holland, you know, the Holland Heineken House? You know, are we going to see that? That would be, you know, fantastic. That's always one of the the favorite ones that were, you know, were out there. You know, a lot of this has to do is whether or not, and this is, again, part of the planning process that every single one of the Olympic committees and organizing bodies are going through is resecuring the places that they had for this summer for next summer. So we'll hear more on that. I think many of them are going to, I mean, I actually, I have not, I think many of them are planning to operate. The question is, is how public will they be? How big will they be? Um, are they going to scale them down based on, on the unknowns, just like other people are you know, scaling down uh, delegations uh, as well as the hospitality programs that they have. Yeah, definitely something I, I'm I'm keeping track of because you know right now I do maintain a list of, of all of them, and it is one of the the favorite things that you know people say, especially on their first time experience. It's a great place to meet people, to hang out, uh, to see events, uh, to see different cultures. Uh, outside of going to the events, it's probably my second favorite thing to do. How many houses were planned for Tokyo? By this point, there had been roughly 16 or so announced. Okay. My guess is it would have been close to 20 to 25. That's roughly, you know, how many that that, that there were in Rio. You know, there 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 were less in in Pyeongchang. Mm-hmm. But 20 to 25 seems to be about the the, the number four. And then, and I'm just counting uh, national houses. There's a lot of other houses, both public and, and and private, out there. For example, like the Procter and Gamble House or. You know, some some of the other ones that are out there, some which are you know closed, and some of them are open. We had sort of mentioned about the travel restrictions, and has there been any discussion of what if whole countries are banned from Japan? How that's going to be handled? If it's being discussed, it's not being publicly discussed, and I think that's a bridge that will get crossed when we get there. You know, what you see even in Japan this week is starting this Friday, fans are returning to baseball stadiums. 
so they can have up to 5,000 spectators within for the baseball league. So five, up to 5,000 spectators is our starting point starting Friday. Now there's very specific regulations, you, you know, no screaming, you do have to wear a face mask. They also are doing contact tracing where they will notify you if you're in a section that somebody eventually, you know, tests positive. So that's happening. And then there's also already discussion right now that uh, was in the news last couple of days about Japan starting to open up a little bit, the restrictions for athletes specific. I believe the only two countries which are able to travel to Japan right now are say Thailand and Vietnam, I think are the only two that where there is some you know business and whatever travel uh, happening between the two. So I think we're all long ways from that. So anything I would say, or I think anyone would say would be purely speculative because we, we just don't know. We have to plan like it's going to be normal and then, you know, and be at the full. Uh, and then as we get into the new year, again, a lot of people don't want to hear this, right? They want to know for now, certainly what it's going to be like. And there's just so many variables out there that it's, it's, it's likely going to change several times between now and then. See, I'm blaming Jill for the whole outbreak because she was complaining that she wanted the media to stop talking about the heat in Japan. Well, they did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we're not hearing anything about the sweltering heat next summer and, and the pavement and, you know, the watering stations or the misters, which I don't know. I think if we go, okay, if go back, we'd say we'd much rather have all that media attention. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and they're still planning on doing the marathon up in Hokkaido, right? Yeah, there, there hasn't been any announced changes to that. I think the latest media thing that I've seen out there that's been put out there is they're talking about the potential for uh, the eruption with the bigger volcano that's about you know, six, 800 miles south of Tokyo. So I, I saw that uh, last week and I just had to smile, which is, hey, is this going to be the, the next emerging story about Tokyo? It's, you know, heat and now we're talking about, you know, a, a potentially major eruption. I don't have volcano eruption on my apocalypse bingo card. <laughs> So that was yeah. disappointing. Yeah, you, you probably need, need, need to uh, get a new card then, you know, I guess it sounds like. And the interesting thing will be, how, how does Beijing benefit from this? Because usually there's 18 months between the two, both benefits and struggles, because on one side is everyone's going to be focused on the Tokyo and what's, and fortunately a lot of the media will cover what's going wrong with it versus what's going right. Uh, which you know, I think frustrates uh, you know you know many of us. But Beijing's going to have a much smaller window for people to be you know so critical about it, and it'll fly under the radar. The reality is, that next January apparently tickets are supposed to go on sale. Wow! January twenty twenty one is when the tickets. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But man, when you think about that, like oh, so Beijing may be the one to plan to go to because people won't be paying attention. Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean. Pyeongchang, you could get to any, you know, most tickets that you wanted, just like you could in Rio. That you know, Tokyo is is probably since London, the last time it was, it was really you know difficult, challenging to, to to get tickets, and and we'll see what Beijing's like. I think it's going to be also really interesting to have the separation between you know some same things you know down in the city of Beijing and some things out uh, you know up in the mountains with the way it's it's being organized up there. Uh, I think for most part, I'm planning on staying you know down in in Beijing and then you know, eventually heading up to the mountains. But I think it's going to be a really di you know different and, and exciting experience too. Yeah, have you done uh, pre travel over there to check things out yet, or I have not? So that yeah, you know, I think I'm going to be traveling most of next year when 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 I look at things because you know I'm going to get back from Tokyo. The question is whether or not to tag on to the end of, end of Tokyo. I'll probably be really tired at the end of it to go directly over to Beijing or whether or not wait till October and and head head back over there. Well, I'm not going to either, so I'm not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, it'll all be from my couch for those two. Yeah, 
Is it Jill, you going to both or? Uh, going, definitely going to Tokyo. Don't know about Beijing. Don't know if I could swing two trips that close, two expensive trips that close. Yeah. But I guess it depends yeah. on like getting, getting accredited. Would that takes a lot of pressure off of like buying tickets and in housing and all, and all those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, the, the other interesting thing is, as I usually go mostly solo and with friends to, to the winter because my wife being accountant is during year end clothes. And so I'm hoping to get her out, you know, I'm hoping to get her out to Beijing for maybe like a weekend or something like that, at least to just see the, you know, figure skating. But uh, other than that, the winter Olympics for me tend to be a very different experience than, than, than the summers, summer games. How, how so? Well, just just because I'm hanging out mainly with friends versus doing things with my wife. I mean, not not to mention. I mean, it's so I'm not. I live in Southern California. I'm I'm not a cold weather person. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the first week in in Pyeongchang was the coldest. I never saw zero. It was negative the entire first week I was there. Every time I got in the car to drive to to something, it was negative ten, negative you know whatever it was. And I've I've never experienced anything like that. That's the biggest joke uh, with my wife and I is that uh, she goes, why don't you have any pictures from opening ceremony? Pyeongchang, you know, and, you know, because all there is, there's, there's one for with me with the empty stadium. I got in about an hour before and took a picture. I said, it's because I was so cold. I didn't want to take off my gloves to like, uh, you know, uh, to take out my phone and take a picture. Like I was, you know, even with the heater things in there, it was really cold. I don't expect the Beijing will be quite that cold, but. I'm, I'm more curious on the snow availability in Beijing. Yeah, that, that'll be very interesting in terms of in terms of the mountains and, and what, what they expect. And it would be interesting to track uh, how much snow they get this winter. So th- I've been asking this of a lot of people who are, are planning for the games. What's keeping you up at night when you're thinking about Tokyo 2020? It's really, I mean, not a lot right now. I mean, Having being, you know, with my career being in live entertainment and, and sporting events, uh, it's already heavily disrupted. So, and it'll be disrupted for whatever period of time it is, whether it's a month, three months, six months. And, you know, some people are saying we won't have any concerts or live events until, you know, next summer. And so to some extent, I do feel like I'm already ready in terms of, of experiencing that. The biggest thing would be keeping up if I didn't have it would be my, would be the hotel. The flights, the flights are easy to take care of. You can, you'll find flights at, at some point, but having accommodations, that's always a thing that, that keeps me mainly up at night. And, you know, if it gets, you know, if we get to a point where there's limited fans or no fans, you know, it is what it is. It's not something that's necessarily, you know, keeping me up. You know, what I say is what, what I, you know, worry about is just making sure that our athletes here in the U.S. or, or have to have the appropriate support, the appropriate funding, and, and that, you know, we're supporting them in any way that way we can, uh, financially, emotionally, all the ways they need to be, mental health-wise, because uh, it's a big change for them in terms of thinking about, hey, I'm ready to go, and now I've got to replan everything. And some of them are, you know, whether you're in combat sports or some of the other things that require close contact, you may not be in a place where you can actively train the same way you have. You may not have the schedule of events in terms of preparation of games. And so those are probably when, when I think about things that don't necessarily worry me, but that, that I'm worried for in terms of making sure we want we support those athletes. That's probably what I think about the most. Well, here's to hoping that, yeah. <laughs> that we can have the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Yeah. Well, I'm planning on it, and I think a lot of people are too. And, like, yeah, we just simply will not know, you know, until we know. Man, and that's that's something to celebrate for one year out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so plan, plan as if you're going, and if you don't end up going, you don't. You know, things change a lot in our lives right now. 
Thank you so much, Ken. You can follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Hanscom. And every Friday, he's got a weekly series of five tips on Tokyo that is incredibly helpful. He is also on Insta at the Ken Hanscom. And follow Ticket Manager on Twitter at Ticket Manager. It's always good to visit with Ken again and think about when we may eventually leave our houses. Right. And may see him in person. Who knows? I know. I'd like to see anybody in person. That's true. I'm, I'm with you on that. I am Oy. definitely with you on that. Let's check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. Welcome to Shukplastan. The USOPC Athletes Advisory Commission and John Carlos have issued a statement for the IOC to abolish Rule 50, and our very own Don Harper Nelson gave testimony to Athletes 365 and the IOC Athlete Commission as part of this process. So Rule 50 is the rule that bans athletes from political protests. Correct. The games. Yes. Just to make that clear. So that is an ongoing thing. We will see what happens with that. Congratulations to artistic swimmer Jacqueline Simino, who was named valedictorian of the Vanier College of Class of 2020. Of course she was. What made me laugh is when we spoke to her after Tokyo was postponed. She was talking about catching up on her schoolwork. I think she's caught up. <laughs> she, you know, that probably did it. She had the time to just be like, huh, I might as well get Valley Victorian too. Why not? Congratulations to hammer thrower Deanna Price for receiving a grant from the USATF Foundation to support her training, which is the USA Track and Field Foundation. That's excellent news for her. Keeps her flame alive. Exactly. USA Weightlifting CEO Phil Andrews was on a recent episode of the Throw Big, Throw Far podcast talking about the intersections of weightlifting and throwing. Also on a podcast, there are a lot, I mean, like, our Shukhlastanis have been on podcasts galore, so we've got a bunch of appearances. Marnie McBean was on a recent episode of the Connor Carrick podcast talking about the grace and grit of rowing, finding your excellence, Olympic nerves, and LGBTQ plus advocacy. In his role as president of the Olympians Association of India, Shiva Keshavan has an Instagram series called Inspire, in which he talks with some of the country's great athletes. And we'll have a That's link to fun. that in the show notes. Pardon? Shiva has a great Insta account in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this will be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's, it's very cool that he's doing that. Our Olympic historian, Victoria Jackson, wrote a piece for the Boston Globe on why the college football season should be canceled. And she has been making the media rounds following that story, including being on an episode of Global Sport Matters and ESPN Radio. So we will have the on-demand links to those shows in the show notes. And then John Schuster is in a new half-hour documentary called Anything is Possible, an American Curling Story, which is about curling in the United States from its beginnings to gold at Pyeongchang 2018. It's by Curling Zone, and you can find it on YouTube. It's about half an hour. I think I could spare half an hour for that. I'm excited. I, I watched a little bit of the opening. It's very well done. Oh. Well, you know, for how much people make fun of curling, for how slow it is, it is a very easy sport to watch on television. Mm -hmm. Because it's physically contained, and it's a limited number of players. Right. So I find it very, you don't lose a lot seeing it on television versus seeing it live. Right. And it helps that they have the overhead camera so yes. you can watch the shot 
from above and see exactly where the stones land and, and how they're counted. So that's really cool. And if you make the room that you're in really cold and you have a beer, it's just like being there. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our Tokyo 2020 news. As Ken told us, Tokyo 2020 is on track to secure all of their venues, which is excellent news. That is uh, reported by Kyoto News, but uh, hopefully they will have that all wrapped up shortly and we will start seeing more and more about the final plans. They won't be throwing things in the parking lot, (laughs) which is a relief. (laughs) Or people camping in the park, athletes camping in the park. Here's your new athletes village. (laughs) Have a tent. have a tent and a and a, uh, a little. What do you call those mats? Oh, uh, uh, tatami mats. Yes, it would be location appropriate. And then uh, inside the games, as reported, that the Paralympics are to be simplified, much like the Olympics will be simplified. So they want to prioritize the health and safety of athletes, spectators, stakeholders, volunteers, and staff. Then they want to reduce the cost impact of the postponement promote um, uh, public interest, and then they would like to simplify and reduce the complexity of the games to ensure they can be organized efficiently, safely, and sustainably. Why aren't these the priorities to begin with? Why does this have to be stated now that these are the priorities? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because it really should be organized efficiently, safely, sustainably, and they shouldn't be complex because a lot of complexities that get added to games mean increased and inflated budgets that that's where a good chunk of the criticism about this event happens it'll be interesting to to see what happens in tokyo because ken was talking about you know the cost savings and are we just going to push everything back a year or is it going to be significantly different and we don't know we're all speculating as to what it's going to be like but i will be fascinated to see what actually pans out because it can go really one of two ways. It can be exactly the way we expected it before COVID-19. Nothing really changed except for Olympic branded masks, you know, just not much of anything with the big crowds and the hoopla, or it can really be the beginning of something very different. Yeah, it, it is an opportunity. Right. So I want to focus on the opportunity part and hope that, you know, they've been talking so much about the new norm and, and Agenda 2020 and all these different changes, and now they have to do it. Yeah. And will that continue into Beijing and Paris and Milan and, and going forward? It'll be interesting, and I think a lot of the simplification means when stakeholders are, quote, encouraged to optimize their delegations and not bring everybody. (laughs) But I I can see that from a, hey, we've got to cut down the number of people involved. I can see other delegations and stakeholders say, we don't have the funds to send more people. I don't know who necessarily pays for whom, but I can also see where stuff is ballooned out of control because people are like oh my goodness i work for the national olympic committee this is our chance to go we want to bring everybody kind of thing so who knows it's like the staff off-site who gets to go who has to stay home and man the office who gets a watch and a steak dinner (laughs) that's right who gets a happy meal and stays in the two-star hotel versus the five-star hotel 
I tell you, Ken, I am on this hotel search. I am looking to see what kind of accommodations are going to be available. Right. So he mentioned when we were speaking to him how his accommodations were secure and he was thinking he was going to miss the hunt. And I immediately thought, Jill needs a room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? I, I if you want to do Jill's like, hunt. Why can't you hunt for a room for me? I just need... But we should have asked. I didn't even think about it because I guess See, I was, was on my own hunt. Right. It wasn't my place to ask for you. I didn't want to be that presumptuous, but, you know, we can always send Ken an email. <laughs> hey, if you got a line on some housing, let me know. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Let us know what you thought of this week's show and if you're planning to go to Tokyo 2020 in 2021. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAME-IT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta and keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, next week we're going to have Terry Hedgepeth because we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the Moscow 1980 games and talk to us about what she learned about the U.S. boycott of that. Until next time, keep the flame alive. Or it can really be the beginning of something very different.